Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Glad Trad Podcast. My name is Jordan Pacheco. And I'm Rodolfo Carlos. I feel like it's been forever, Rudy, since we've just like sat down and let our hair back, you know, and just talked about like a myriad of topics. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's a lot of life going on. So. There's a lot of life going on. Let's start with yours because yours is far more interesting than mine. What have you been up to? How is how is your lovely uh, wife and your unborn daughter? Well, um, Ashley's fine. And uh, yesterday we had our 20 week ultrasound. So um, we got to see our little baby. Wow. which i don't know if i've i've told everyone yet but we um it's kind of a funny story one day we were deciding oh, okay well you know we found out it was a girl and then we we're like okay well what kind of girl names do we want because we have a ton of boy names but not a lot of girl names <laughs> we... and so um we were going through all the the names and stuff and i think we we're sticking to bridget but it ended up being that one day we were we were talking about our total consecration to Mary, and we thought that if we have given everything to Mary, then why shouldn't we give our firstborn daughter to her? So we named mm-hmm. her Maria. And so one day I went to mass and I came home and I said, Ashley, um, I hope you don't mind, but I kind of already told Jesus that I'm going to give my daughter (laughs) (laughs) probably should have we kind of have to commit now not that she would have minded but probably a good thing to yeah talk to your talk to your wife about for jen would probably crucify me (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah we named her maria maria saw her yesterday yeah she's doing really well Mm. um it's really amazing really i've never i mean people tell you they go to an ultrasound and stuff and they show you the pictures but Mm to actually be in the room and be a fly on the wall and see what the technician's doing. And it's really a crazy technology. Um, yeah. Like we were able to see her heart. Um, her heart was beating really nicely and her spine is formed like really perfectly. And oh. we saw a little bit of her forehead. Ashley thinks she has a big forehead like mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that's a takeaway. Oh, that was funny. All babies yeah. have big foreheads, by the way. Because they all kind yeah, of look like aliens when they're it. formed, especially. Yeah, yeah. So that's what's going on. I'm also just kind of like wrapping up my dad's estate. And yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. What about you? Well, I want to real quick uh, note that I was listening to some of our older podcasts. And it doesn't. Seem, it wasn't that long ago, really, because we were just we were doing our quarantine stuff only a year ago. But it was funny listening to before y'all were married podcasts because we're both talking about <laughs> our fiancés and all this other kind of stuff. And then now... Uh, you're on the cusp of fatherhood. Uh, mm-hmm. At 20 weeks old, that means you have uh, how many weeks do you guys have left? I think that's 20 weeks is like halfway. Halfway, so yeah. I think yeah. another another four four months and change. Man, that's I'm 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 so happy for you guys. It's I'm almost disgustingly happy for you guys. I'm like, ugh, this happiness. Is, <laughs> ugh, ugh. <laughs> no, but no. that's great. I and I can't wait for the day that I can kind of join you in the rank. Uh, for the record, Jen and I have the reverse problem. We have a ton of girl names, but after our first two boy names, they kind of start piddling out into the ether. So uh, I figured you would name your firstborn Leo or something like that's that. That's funny that you say that. Okay, so I will. So since you told me the name of your daughter, I'll tell you what name we always say for our our firstborn son is Ambrose. Ambrose. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we have Ambrose and then we have some some daughter names, but 
are you weird with like when people like when you ask people like well, what's the name of your baby and people are like oh, i don't want to tell you otherwise you'll steal it are you one of those people who's weird with that or <laughs> no <laughs> i knew you wouldn't i knew you wouldn't be but i i have some coworkers whose wives are expecting and you know naturally we're like hey what are you gonna name your kid oh i don't we can't say it. i'm like why that's stupid <laughs> yeah i mean like i'm gonna steal it really <laughs> Think a little higher it's, of me, please. <laughs> it's kind of weird. <laughs> oh, so they mean well, I know. Um, yeah. well, life's been life's been well over here. Uh, it's going to be an extremely green spring and summer. The reason why is because it's been so rainy and snowy here in Colorado, uh, which is nice, which is what we need. But it's it's been really really good. Um, just working business as usual. Um. There's not there's not much excitement to recover. Oh, well, of course, the, the biggest excitement naturally is that Jen and I are officially beyond 90 day fiance. So we're now on day as we record this, it's like day 87 or something like that. <laughs> and I am so freaking done. I feel sorry for our listeners. and I'm sorry for like our friends because I keep saying this, but I'm so serious. People, if you are engaged, don't do a long engagement don't do it don't let anything stop your plans you know i'm i'm so grateful that jen and i had the time to grow together and during the whole of last year's pandemic especially early on it was an extremely trying time for our relationship like i think we went through a really serious hurdle that usually married couples would go through ours just relationally growing i think that we had that a little early so for us i think pushing it back was a good idea um we just got to grow stronger but push it back to summer i'm i'm deadbeat done dude like i can't wait to be married just now i had to send her home right before we started this podcast and i'm like i can't wait for the day i'm just like go in the other room and i'll see you in a second <laughs> <laughs> honey i'm home honey, i'm home i am um, i got some i i got some bratwurst from the butcher shop in king supers today and it was it was like bacon cheddar bratwurst it was very very good that sounds um, good it's very, very nice. Which reminds me, I wanted, to, I wanted to tell you this, and maybe this is going to scandalize some of our people, but I know it's not going to because everyone's really hardcore. Um, what are you going to say? Segue from Bratwurst to Yeah, right. Scandal. Well, what are you going to say? When's, when's the last time you think I've worn a mask inside a store? Like a, like a grocery store. What would you figure? Well, Colorado's pretty lax. And when I went to go visit you, it seemed like not a lot of people were wearing masks but then little pockets were yeah it, it, i'm gonna guess like three months ago maybe longer than that at this point it feels like <laughs> i am um, it depends on where you're at in southern colorado it's i mean it's more conservative right and at this point so many people have kind of woken up to the scamdemic oh no did i say that out loud that uh i'm just but i just got done with it i was like i i perceive something and i'm like most people don't care because most people know, like in your back of your heads, most people know that at this point, this is all mind control BS, right? Let's just call it what we see it. And I'm sure we're going to get to talking about it in the church because Lord knows that's still obviously persisting. Um, but yeah, I just said one day, I remember like, I was like, man, for the sake of my mental health, I just can't wear this thing. I'll do it for like the whole five seconds it takes to walk to a restaurant and then you sit down, and you take it off. And apparently that's like you're, you're, you've paid your tribute to the gods. So there you go. Yeah, you're safe. Yeah, apparently you're safe. Um, but no one stopped me. No one's accosted me. Now that I've said that, I'm sure I'm going to get stopped and accosted. But I've decided <laughs> I'm just I'm just done, dude. I'm I'm tired. And I feel so sorry for Good. you and the fellows back in California, because at least here there's it feels like there's a little bit more of a number that's willing to kind of 
just be done with it. I think it's a rural yeah. nature of some parts of Southern Colorado here, or I guess I'm technically central South Colorado. That's what's so alluring. I mean, there's, there's like a big a siren call of, um, you know, moving out of California going out into rural areas like Texas or certain parts of Colorado. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are in Idaho and we just have some friends that are trying to finalize things in, in Georgia. Right. And um, I feel bad, you know, because, you know, the parish is losing families because mm -hmm. they're moving away out of here. But man, just, it's so hard to live here. It's so hard. I mean, I know a guy at, at his work, they make them wear jumpsuits and they're just like white jumpsuits. <laughs> like ET And um, supposedly that's supposed to stop the spread or something like that. But I mean, it's just like, I'm sure he feels like a prison inmate. He right. was telling me he doesn't, he doesn't wear it. So, well, good because he shouldn't. <laughs> and I'm very fortunate because where I work, we, we don't, we're not required to wear it and we haven't for, it seems like a hot second ever since I've worked there. Right. So um, well, just think about it for a sec. Right. I mean, the mask in a way sort of makes sense, but if you actually look at the data, it doesn't really do much, but think about a jumpsuit, right? Mm-hmm. How is a virus spread? Well, primarily it's spread by, by your nose and your mouth and most likely from a sneeze or a cough, or maybe if you're projecting your voice, um, you might, you might be spreading more germs than normal. Mm -hmm. Now, how is a jumpsuit preventing that from happening? It isn't. It isn't. A jumpsuit you're wearing because you have you want some false sense of security you're thinking oh if i put this on i'm going to be safer right but it doesn't do anything other than well number one it reinforces a bad habit namely to think that that you know putting on this magic jumpsuit is going to help you mm -hmm. and number two it's making it's making it so that you're like a prison inmate at yeah. your job yeah it's so strange it's very strange. Well, this is, I mean, this is all pure control. And one thing that's interesting is I call it, I call it the weird, it's not a consistent religion is what I say. The, yeah. the, the woo-flu adherence. And this is why. So you can wear a cloth mask, actually not even a cloth mask. You can wear a, something that looks like a mask, right? Like I have a, um, I have a gator. Like a gator? Yeah, I wear gator a gator thing. because yeah. I'm like, if I'm going to wear this, if I'm going to wear the stupid thing at places like the stupid gym or whatever, if I pull it down and breathe. I'm like, at least I want myself to be warm. And so... Dude, the gym. I miss going to the gym with you, bro. I miss going to the gym with you too, bro. Honestly, I miss any bro going to the gym with. I've You're been... just about to make gains. I know. my um, my uh, uh, Jen's my Jen's my fit chick partner now. And she's really leaned into it. So it's actually kind of cool. But, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah, but it's not... But it's not... You know, going with the fian fiance isn't always the same as going with your bro. I think there's just a different ritualism there, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> not saying things differently. Right. Not to not to say anything bad about going with with my wife. I think that's or my wife to be. Oh, no. I think that's a I think that's a good thing. But yeah. um, no, but it's funny because you see this thing where it's like, um, OK, if I put on the mask, I'm immune. And and any statistics, any Tom Woods has such a good breakdown of this, such a good breakdown, because first off, mask mandates don't work. Texas led the way. Right. They dropped the mask mandate places. Other states like Florida wouldn't even oh, like yeah. really have them. And then what do you see? Well, it turns out. California's is like this. Florida's is like is lower in infection rates. What does this prove? At the very least, that these trust the science experts, 
and there were no experts, remember, back in early January of last year, but suddenly they popped up everywhere. Um, all that proves is it's kind of BS. And then you find out that if I walk into a restaurant, I have to have it on. Oh my gosh, I have to have it on. Until you go to your table and you sit down and you take it off. In which case, your waiter will literally be a foot from you like a waiter ought to be. But it's okay because you pinched your incense to Caesar and now the gods will protect you. <laughs> and then for people wearing their those like um, those N95 or the hospital surgical masks, right? In surgeries, those are supposed to be changed out every two hours. Otherwise, they get unsanitary. So the same person keeps it in their car, breathes it in day in and day out, whatever. How is And so I'm sure that the amount of issues that's going to be from that is important. And then I just keep thinking about the psychological issues. Like there's an entire generation of children which are being trained right now that going out in public, you have to have your mask. And that's the thing that pisses me off beyond all end is like you're in the grocery store and these like little kids have their dumb little masks, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like you shouldn't be wearing it. You shouldn't be wearing it, and but but they're magically exempt, by the way. And it turns out the schools aren't these hot spots. And this is the last thing I'll say. Um, public school buses are still running, of course. I found out from my nephew that they just have assigned seating, but I was like, well, that can't be socially distanced because they aren't kicking any kids off the bus. So this social distance kind of myth doesn't make sense for the grocery store. But apparently it's supposed to now make sense for church still in some parts of the country and all that kind of crap. Um, And so I don't I'm sorry, but I think that anybody who is still going along with this, anybody who's still going along with this in the name of safety and is putting aside their duties to their fellow citizens, as well as certainly to the duty in the church, I'm sure we'll talk about. um, It's it's beyond ridiculous. I think it's actually criminal, to be honest with you. I think the amount of damage that we've reaped from this thing has been criminal. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And it's really sad out here. I mean, I I think about, you know, I went to visit you in Colorado. What When was that? That was, that was like, January, wasn't it? Jan- it was like January, yeah. late January. Yeah. Or no, no, no. Was it? No, it was New Year's, wasn't it? It was New Year. I feel like we did a Te Deum together. I can't remember. It was around that time. Yeah. But that was the first time that I'd been inside of a church um, in a very long time where people, people were just kind of, you know, being normal and, you know, it's cool here in in California. That's, that's the most normal thing that I have right now, just to be able to go to mass. And, you know, a lot of people don't wear the mask and that's fine. I like, I don't think you should be wearing it unless I don't know. You're an old person and you feel safe doing it or something. I don't know. I mean, even Mm -hmm. still, I don't think it really does much, but anyway, um, I'm thinking about Colorado because here we still have so many restrictions and we're still even in, in the tent, you know, and part of it is because the church is so big now that we don't fit into our tiny chapel. But at the same time, there's still a lot of adherence to these mandates that are, being trickled down from the archbishop and it's just it's really wearing me out man. Yeah. <laughs> i'm sure a lot of people are feeling this too yeah and there's um you know there's some people who who think of it as like like they have to suffer through this and it's like do you i mean do you really have to or is this just something that like that's imposed on you i don't know i guess you could offer it up yeah yeah, we talked, and it's so funny because this is almost like the anniversary of our limits of obedience. 
we talked about mm -hmm. last year remember because we were in lockdown um yeah. and we we did we started these videos apart from each other and again we're a year out we're a year onward and i want to i want to real quick say that as much as i love our lady mount carmel as much as i'm extremely grateful extremely grateful to archbishop aquila for allowing the fraternity and letting churches do their thing that's not the case for every church the vast majority of churches out here still have a sign-up sheet and mask mandates and all that kind of crap at varying degrees carmel is on the pause on the proper end of the spectrum which is like wide open come in be a normal catholic again but yeah. i mean the the amount of damage that's going to be done across even colorado because colorado's not it's not a red state right it's a purple state that's going blue and mm -hmm. um and as far as our Catholicism goes, Archbishop Gomez was our, our bishop here at one point. Um, I have to be very careful how I how I describe His Excellency, but it's a different place. Colorado is a different place than, than California. You would never get like the Religious Education Congress here in Colorado. The center no, tends to be. So. I think that, especially after the changes, I find that the coast got the worst of it. You have you know New York. Boston, Los Angeles, like some of these places are the freaking Wild West. But here in the actual Wild West, uh, I think there's a little bit more orthodoxy, if you will, retained in Colorado and in Nebraska and Kansas and all these other kinds of places. I think it's a, it's a clear air, personally. So um, I wish that it was a case that Archbishop Aquila would just come out tomorrow and be like, do what you want to do. I suspect that if a priest asks for that, he'd probably grant it. Cause I don't think that he'd replace favorites, especially with the fraternity. Um, I've met him before and I find he has a very deep devotion to God and uh, wants to do the right thing. And so it's a, it's a tiptoeing around the state, but when it comes to Los Angeles, the more I think about it, the more I think about just how hard it is. And I've met out here Catholics who are so frustrated that they don't want to be in the church anymore. Right. Yeah. I've met Catholics who haven't gone to confession in a year and then you extrapolate that into California, where there wasn't even a fight in some places. And I feel I feel for for all of us, especially all of us at St. Vitus and, and other places, because we're just trying to do what what we as Catholics are supposed to do, which is to say that our souls and our, our temporal life here is our souls are more important than our temporal life here. We are dust and unto dust we shall return. The sacraments are necessary for salvation. They are necessary for our spiritual strength, our mental strength. The mass is the most important thing. And then you get these mandates from on high that essentially tell you the opposite, that you can have a dispensation, that you don't need the sacraments, that you need to obey, 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 obey. And I think it was good when Charles Cologne talked about how we're getting a taste of what they went through at the time of the changes this this kind of genuine clericalism where it's like oh no you need to obey little one you don't know any better you'll kill grandma we know what's best for you when the hemorrhage in the church is so real right now and these men sit there and they don't and they don't do anything not even a word of spiritual encouragement in a lot of cases yeah it's really wild man i mean going through it from even the perspective of of my father not being able to have the sacraments like oh, yeah. That really, really, I mean, that sort of experience really changes you. Um, and I'm sort of trying to deal with that, you know, deal with that sort of resentment that I have of mm. not only, I have to be careful. I mean, I do have some resentment to the Archbishop, I'll have to be honest. 
Yeah. That's something that I have to work through, but not only to the archbishop, but also to, to a Catholic hospital, you know, like these, these Catholic institutions that you, you place so much trust in, they just sort of turn their back on you, you know, in, in a, in a moment where you need them the most. And so I understand where some of those people that you mentioned are coming from, you know, but I would never advise them to leave despite all of this craziness that's going on. I mean, well, a lot of bark and a lot of a lot of what we're doing in here is I'm trying to tell people like, first off to anybody who's wavering, I know that you're out there. Um, This podcast is your friend. We're not we're not the kind of guys who are going to be like, oh, well, just obviously the answer is to stay in the Catholic Church. This is the one true faith. In these terrible times where we see the the will of weak men governing the church and the will of lady who haven't held the supernatural faith, all the more to realize that this is the one true faith because we can clearly, clearly see that the smoke of Satan has entered the church. And why would Satan waste so much time and energy on something that's not the truth? Yeah. So hold fast to the traditions you've been taught, whether through the written word or through the oral method. Hold fast. Mm-hmm. This is this is a good lesson of how a lot of our ancestors were, where sometimes they wouldn't have the mass for years. Think about the the Japanese citizens who had to stay at the time of the of the shoguns, and they wouldn't see a priest for generations sometimes. Yeah. Now it's a little bit more bitter because for our entire life, we were taught that the sacraments are the most important thing and that priests are these heroic peoples who will witness and administer and a bishop is owed your loyalty and your fealty because they will always come through for you with this sort of thing. And now we have evidence that many of these people don't have the supernatural faith or that their faith is not as strong as they need to be. As Catholics, what's very funny is that we read the lives of St. Athanasius and St. Nicholas and St. Thomas More and St. Catherine of Siena and all these heroic witnesses to faith, St. John Paul II, right? The fall of communism. And we say, ah, these are all the examples of the faith that we need to strive for. And then in our great moment, we feel like we've been deserted a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and But it's important to remember that, you know, we want to walk beside you. And so for the people that I've been talking to, Rudy, they didn't really go or know that the traditional Latin mass existed. They had their reservations. You know, all the quintessential, oh, I don't want the traditional Latin mass is weird, that kind of thing. And I was like, this is the last stop before somebody leaves the faith. And so we've had, Jenna and I have had two friends in particular who they came with us two weeks ago. And then they actually came a second time without us knowing uh, last week. So I'm just praying that this is a, a provider and also just a great realization that there are heroic priests out there who are willing to administer the sacraments no matter what. And I'm, I'm praying for you, dude, because I know that, you know, Christ calls us to forgive. Um, I think that forgiveness is a process. And I think that we're, we're all trying to do is we're trying to work up to where it's easier and easier to forgive. But I think about that all the time. The fact that I find that a Catholic hospital, which is supposed to hold the tenets of the faith, I don't think they did right by you at all. I don't think that them and the and the and the um the hospital chaplain did right by your father offering up a spiritual uh what was it called a spiritual uh anointing of the sick or something. Yeah. And my, I'm I mean one of my work projects right now is we're going through the sacrament of anointing of the sick. So I can tell you that 
I now that I know the legalese of how the sacrament works, it really does make my blood boil. Um, yeah. But in these kind of moments, also, I really have to remember that God's grace and His mercy and His judgment and everything is bigger than the sacraments. It's bigger than human error. And so, what's so funny is that what we're seeing on display is just so much human error right now. And so, God's providence recognizes that He takes that into account too. Uh, I think yeah, when Christ definitely. comes back, I think when he comes back, he's going to whack a couple of skulls over this one, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, you're absolutely right. The, um, the sacraments are our primary vehicle to grace. That's the way that, that our, our Lord gave, uh, designed them to be for yeah. us and gave them um, for us to use them. Um, and obviously there's, there's ways to, um, you know, there's a perfect act of contrition and that sort of thing. Um, I'm just afraid, you know, I'm afraid for my father's soul. And I still, I, you know, like I, I, I still remember the last day that I spoke to him and I, mm -hmm. I promised him that I would pray for him for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, as long as I have breath, I'm going to keep praying for him because I, I, I'm still afraid for him. You see, people have... And this is a sad thing about our my family, and I'm sure a lot of our viewers can sympathize with this, uh, maybe from their own experience with their families too, is that we have so many opportunities in our life to not only to correct ourselves from mortal sin or to return to the church and to like live out our, our Catholic faith every single day, you know, not just go to mass once a year, we have all of these different opportunities for us to grow in holiness. And many of the times we find ourselves in situations where it's too late. Like the hour and the day that God calls you home is only known to God and you're never going to know that day. And so you have to strive as hard as you can every single day to make that day worthwhile and to perfect yourself just if if only a little bit right mm. but i'm afraid for him because it came so fast and then there was all these other external circumstances that weren't available to him so it's just you know if there's anything that i could say i don't know if my family even listens to this anymore but this is why so many of our our viewers, this is why I'm the way that I am with, with our family. It's like, look, this is literally the most important thing that I can ever tell you. Like your soul is worth more than anything in the universe. Yeah. And if you're not in the state of grace and that hour comes, it's not going to look good. It's not going to be fun, not only for yourself, but for the people around you. It's just horrible. It's a horrible yeah. situation. And um, yeah, it's been wearing me down, but obviously, yeah, there's, there's, there's so much hope and my, my hope and my trust is in God, mm -hmm. you know, and, and in moments like this, what else can you do? I mean, you can't put your hope and your trust in anything here in the world because right. you know, it's not enough. I, I think that this is one of the things that is one of the very positive things I think traditional Catholics ought to do well to recapture. Because I think that we're fighting one war where we're trying so hard to to go by the letter of the law because the letter of the law has been kind of thrown away to the wind. And it's to mm -hmm. the first law of the church is the salvation of souls. 
It's not it's not just a nice little community organizer. It's not pancake breakfast on Sundays. It's not even just to do with thorn in the side of the government. The first law of the church is the salvation of souls. And if we do not have that kind of zeal, we will never have the evangelical uh, cultivation that so many people pretend that we're having right now. It is important that we tell our family, that we tell our friends, that we tell our neighbors, that we tell those we love so much that God so loves them so radically, mystically, so intensely, so passionately that all he wants to do is draw them into himself. Uh, John 3.16, right? God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will never die, but have eternal life. The book of John later goes on to say, look, Christ didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save it. And I think about this all the time because, again, with friends like mine who some of them teeter, are teetering on the edge of the faith, you know, and you just want to hold them and say, if you realize just how incredible, how desirous God is for you and what we need to do, then they wouldn't hesitate for a second if you could somehow give them a glimpse. And so on the other flip side for traditional Catholics, the challenge for us is always to have the reason for our hope, right? It is, it is to recognize, listen, you don't have to believe like, dare we hope all men be saved. You don't have to believe that. And you don't also have to believe that there's this like double predestination, total depravity, Calvinist sort of thing. That right. there are these reasonable hopes and that we trust in God's mercy as well as God's justice. And the point of the Catholicism is not to speculate on where your soul will be after you die. Any good Catholic, any man even, knows what, where, what, what his road is leading to. We'll lie. We'll say things to ourselves. We all know. We, all, we know when we're in a state of grace. We know when we've mortally sinned. We know when we've venially sinned. We know when we willfully, mortally sinned or venially sinned or something. I mean, these are little notches in the back of the brain. And so I think that the fact that in your last conversation to your dad, that you told him that you would pray for him, you know, it might not have sank in then. There's a possibility that it could have sank in at the end. There's a possibility that your father, as he was slipping into unconsciousness, was crying out to the Lord. And it's possible that that God heard him and said, okay, well, it turns out that uh, the priest is not going to be derelict in his duty in this instance. So I'm going to have to step in. Is it a guarantee? I don't know. Looks like you and I are going to have to work really hard to get to heaven and, and find out, you know. But at the very least, you know, I will, I'll keep your father in my prayers too, because if there's any chance whatsoever that he's in purgatory or anything, you know, then, then our prayers will be meritorious to his salvation. And in the event that, that he's not, it doesn't hurt that the fact that we were thinking of somebody else to do these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, what frust what frustrates me, Rudy, honestly, and what, what, the line I'm really trying to walk is the fact that I don't see this kind of language at large from the bishops as a whole. I don't see that kind of language at large through this whole pandemic. The words of comfort to the to the lady are just not there. It's business as usual for so many of these people. And in fact, you know, not to be so so to grim this episode, but it's true. It's like there's a there's a part of me who's just like, wow. Uh, Christ asks, when the Son of Man comes back to the world, will he find faith <laughs> upon the earth? And you're like, 
you read that when things are good and you're like, I don't know what that freaking means. Churches are doing this and everything's good. And now you're like, holy crap. I kind of <laughs> see, I kind of see what our Lord was talking about because it's like the, the writings on the wall now. Mm. Yeah. So certain, certain things stand out and you're like, Whoa, just like that. I've been thinking about that a lot too, because yeah. you know, you mentioned that the other day in in the, in the chat and I was like, that's true. Yeah. There's a very small remnant here, but the good thing is that this remnant still has a very much, uh, still has a, a great love for Christ. Oh yeah. A fervor that you seldom see anymore. And that little remnant is going to take over the world. There's a lot of people getting married and, you know, a couple of people that we know, I won't say who they are because I don't know if it's public, but, you know, they found out that they were pregnant and I was like, wow, you know, and then I look at my daughter on the ultrasound and I say, God is renewing his church. Yeah. He's renewing the family life, not only for me and Ashley, because we're so, our lives are, are radically different from, from our upbringing. Um, but he's bringing other people to do the same thing, to sanctify their lives through their marriages, through their work. Like, for example, for you, like you're, you're using all of your, your God given, given talents at a amazing Catholic company. Like God is renewing. And it's hard to see that sometimes because of all the distractions and all the, you know, the crazy stuff that's going on outside, but God is working through all of this. It's, it's really true. And yeah, I mean, it's not, this isn't a, a grim episode by any means because that's our hope. Our yeah. hope is in Christ. Yeah, that's right. I, you know, and I, I think that one of the things is it's man, it's what a roller coaster of a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't you, I close my eyes all the time. Cause for instance, uh, you know, this, I think you're in it too, just by the virtue of restoration, but, I'm in such a cultus for Leo the 13th and Fulton J. Sheen and some of these juggernauts, right? <laughs> these, these saints who aren't technically saints. Um, right. Real quick. I just want to mention that you're in the, in the 33 days to consecration of St. Joseph book, I was flipping through the artwork at the very back and there's a heavenly court all around St. Joseph and the, and the Virgin Mary and, and the Christ. And Leo the 13th is over here on the left-hand side and I'm scrolling through and he's like the only one who doesn't have saint by his name, but everybody, everybody knows, <laughs> everybody knows. Everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is you, there's these romantic glimpses that we get where we are like, I wonder what it'd be like to be in this time as a Catholic in this time. What if I was at Lepanto? What if I was at the, the siege of Vienna? What if I was sipping tea while Leo the 13th was waving to the camera for the first time in history? Um, but God places us. I firmly believe that God places us here in our particular time for that particular purpose of building the church at this time. You know, that yeah. there is there is no other time in history. God has designated for us. Uh, and even as again, as traditional Catholics, you know, one sobering and one really actually, I think it's a very liberating thought is that we're often accused of believing that there was an in the garden time. If only we could return back to 1950, if only we could turn back to 1890, if only we could return back to, 
I don't know, what's a good year? Uh, 1615 or something. Oh, everything would be perfect. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> because suppose we lived in the 50s, right? We would have seen Fulton J. Sheen, sure, but the wolves were at the door in the church and it wouldn't have been exposed. And suppose we lived in the 1890s, but modernism was everywhere. G.K. Chesterton writes about this and it's the advent of World War I. No, no, no. Better to live in this time because we have the means of communication now. We have the history of the church behind us. And also, there is so much goodness in the world still to cultivate and to fight for. Uh, a lot of what we're doing, a lot of what this feels like, I think, is if you read Lord of the Rings again. And mm. that book deals so heavily, so extreme with the forces of good and evil and there are plenty of times when it seems like the forces of evil are going to override everything good. Um, I'll switch to the movie for a second, right? But there's a moment in Siege of Gondor. This happens in the book, too, of course. But I think if you haven't read the book, this might be just an Egypt visual. But uh, Pippin and Gandalf are kind of sitting in the, the Siege of Gondor has been happening. And they're defeated. You know, I mean, they're barricading the last of the doors. There's a cave troll on the other side. And they're trying to bust in. And... Um, you know, Pippin kind of muses that this must be the end of all things and this must be the end of hope, right? And Gandalf kind of rebukes him a little bit and more or less tells him that, you know, there's always hope. There's hope for Frodo and Sam to throw the ring into the fires of Mount Doom. And it's a really, you know, when you watch it first, I'm like, well, that's kind of, that's it makes you feel nice and tingly inside, right? Before you realize that the battle is still actually to be fought. They still have to break the siege of Gondor. They still have to go to the Black Gate and hold off the legions of Sauron just enough for Frodo and Sam to have a tiny little sliver of a chance. <laughs> um, but that chance still exists, which is interesting for me to think about. And so I'm excited by the fact that our children, for the first time since our grandparents, are going to be raised joyously in the Latin Rite. I'm, I'm excited that the fact that the battles that you and I are fighting right now and so many of our friends and so many of our families are fighting now, God willing, our children won't have to see. Uh, demographics don't lie on these sorts of cases. Zealotry does not lie in these kind of cases. Our lady doesn't lie in these instances. And I think that we're in for a wild ride through our lifetime. I think that we're seeing the death of a lot of systems which everyone thought would last forever. And that includes things from, I don't know, from our country down to to the, the, the new order, right? Literally, the new order of things. But I think that it's all kind of thrashing so heavily because it's all coming to an end, right? I think, I yeah. think that some of these people know in the back of their heads that things are not going to be this way in 10, 20, 30 years. And so they're terrified about it because they're holding on to little vestiges of power that they can. Yeah, it's like the last little tantrum. You know. <laughs> break all the toys on the way out <laughs> <laughs> speaking of books are you reading anything right now that is a great great question rudy and the answer is i am um here permit me to to grab some stuff and i want to see yours because i know you're you're reading some stuff right yeah yeah okay Whew. i got a lot so let's see um <laughs> i mean you know me so, okay. So I, I found these two. So <clears throat> I'm reading a couple things. So first off, um, my religious reading for Lent, Rudy, I think you're doing it too, but this Consecration of St. Joseph by uh, Father Donald Calloway, this is awesome. This has been by far my favorite Lenten read of my life ever. 
uh, and St. Joseph have, has vastly become one of my patron saints. I think if you are a husband and a father, you, it's almost stereotypical, right? Because you hear like, oh, St. Joseph, St. Joseph. No, St. Joseph is such a good dude. And especially in regards, you know, he, he's patriarch of patriarchs, head of the Holy Family, guardian of virgins, terror of demons, naturally. But to every guy listening out here, I can 100% tell you, I wish I could I could reinsert this into my um, hard truth about pornography video. St. Joseph has been the greatest intercessor for chastity. I mean, it's it's almost uncanny how, um, you know, as I get closer to my marriage, I've heard that, like, you got to be careful because the devil will, this is like the last vestige, the devil hates the idea of a sacrament. So he'll use everything he can to attack you, everything he can. And I've been kind of like really worried about that, right? Because I don't want to like slip up. And St. Joseph has swooped in at like the right, at the right era. And I'm really, really, it's incredible how, how clear um, so many things are. So that's been great. Uh, <laughs> I am also on this, on the secular side, on my military history side, I'm reading Last Stand, which is of <laughs> course about famous last stands in the modern era. I'm reading about the Battle of Iswandawala and Rourke's Drift, which was in the latter 1800s, the British Empire against the Zulu Nation. But I recently got done with Custer's Last Stand in 1876. There is um, there was the Alamo. Uh, that was 1836, I think. So anyway, it's fun. Uh, people die for causes. That's essentially what the... Or they die because they have no other choice. That's essentially what this book is. <laughs> and then the last thing I want to say I'm reading, I'm listening to it by audiobook. But it's called The 2,000-Year uh, History of the Papacy by Father John O'Malley, Society of Jesus. He's a good Jesuit, as far as I can tell if he's still alive. But it is literally just a series of, I think, that case is 35 lectures going through the history of the papacy and highlighting particular popes. I have Charles Colomb's Vicars of Christ back here. And so it's kind of just like an audio lecture of that sort of thing where Charles goes through each of the popes. He goes through, um, Father O'Malley goes through most of the, like the, a, lo a lot of popes, a lot of some big popes and minor popes. But right now I just learned about the, um, this is Gregory VII, Pope Gregory VII and Henry IV and something called the Road to um, uh, Canosa, Canosa. So what happened is that the, uh, the emperor disapproved of the papal election of Gregory. So Gregory essentially threw some shenanigans and stuff. It's more than that. It's, it's, it's good old medieval historical politicking. Gregory excommunicates the Pope and the Pope has to beg for forgiveness. So he walks to Canossa, which is in the Italian Alps and begs for forgiveness uh, barefoot uh, in front of like wherever the Pope is being housed or something. But that's not what ends it. In fact, it begins it. So <laughs> wait, the emperor gets excommunicated. Yeah, the emperor gets the excommunicated. And so what oh, okay, happens dude. is, so check it. The emperor gets excommunicated. He tries to make amends with the pope. I think they make amends, but it doesn't last very long. And so what ends up happening is that the emperor raids, uh, sacks Rome. And this is in like the the 10, uh, this is in the year that was like 1000. This is in the 11th century, right before the Crusades, like 50 years before the Crusades. So this is a big deal. A Christian army sacking Rome. And they drive out Gregory and they instill an anti-pope. I think it's, I don't want to say it's Clement III. I'm sorry to Clement III. If, or Nicholas, is it Nicholas II? No. I'm getting my popes confused, you can tell. But they install an anti-pope. And so it's just a whole thing, dude. I've That's learned. Wild. I've learned so much about the papacy. So we might have things bad now. And I think that they're uniquely bad because 
Um, we've but we've had some scandal. Oh my gosh! No, we've yeah, had I mean, some. Going back to what you said earlier, I mean, you're you're born into one specific time period. Yeah, and those people yeah. at that time period, man, they had to suffer through that. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah. What about you, dude? What are you reading? Uh, right now, I'm reading. I accuse the council. Of course, uh, you are. By who? Uh, Bishop Lefebvre. Oh my gosh. Bishop Lefebvre. You're such a mad um, It's a really interesting book. You're uh, so yeah. self-devouring, Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just a book of um, this is what we did today in the council. This is what we what was discussed, and then this is what I said or what yeah. this person said. It's really interesting just to kind of get like a per, an inner perspective of what was going on on the council. Yeah. Um, I'm also reading, I was reading that, um, consecration book, but I think Ash and I had to put it down for, for a bit because I don't know, we're not really vibing with the writing style, but I I would say that it's, it's written for a particular group of people. And I think it's, I think it's really good. Well, it's the first book of its kind really. Mm. So, um, there's some really interesting information in there. Uh, I don't want to discourage people from from picking it up. Or I'd highly recommend it. I get that it's not for everybody. This well, this is my first consecration as well. But like, I I'm freaking like I'm getting my mind blown left and right, honestly. Um, but also I get my mind uh, blown left and right by like church histories and stuff. So you know who? Yeah, I know you like history a lot. Uh, Well, the other day you were you were we we were talking on the chat and you were saying that you were reading something like, I think it was that last stand book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I haven't done any like recreational reading in a long time. Maybe I'll do that next. Maybe it'll be Lord of the Rings. I'll give that a shot. Highly recommend obviously, but that's not just because I'm a Catholic because Lord of the Rings is Lord of the Rings is a funny series too, because I feel like the fellowship of the ring, like I feel like where he starts in the fellowship it is, it's an upward like fellowship's good, but it just goes up from there. And yeah. they spend like half of fellowship at the Council of Elrond. And I'm like, let's freaking go. Let's, we'll finally out of here. let's go. What's <laughs> funny, now I will say this about the adaptation from Lord of the Rings, though, which is interesting. The Battle of Helm's Deep and the Battle of Minas Tirith, in terms of pages, aren't very long. They're very short snippets. Like Helm's Deep, I swear, is like two pages. <laughs> and Minas Tirith might be like four. So it's funny, like, that such key parts of the book in these sorts of regards are relatively short in the book. But they're extrapolated so brilliantly in the films, and so yeah. You ever heard? Are you you have you ever read Lord of the Rings? I tried. I I think it must have been like in eighth grade or something, but it was just a little bit too much for my yeah. eighth grade brain. So I had to put it down, and well, I never tried after that. So oh, well, I just read it two years ago. So you'd think I would have read it sooner. I tried reading it multiple times in my life, but I just never. And here's the funny thing: my my mom and my godfather they love Lord of the Rings, the books. Um, and you know, it's funny cause I watched the movies first and I read the books and they were, they would, you know, sometimes tell me about like, Oh, they missed this, this, this in the movie. And I was <laughs> like, except for one kind of big change, which my godfather points out, which is like the nature of Frodo, I think, uh, which my godfather is very fair. Frodo's more courageous in the books. And I think that's cool. I get why they kind of changed him a little bit in the movies, but in terms of like some of the changes they made, I think they're really, really good changes. And some of the characters that they omitted, obviously you can't just cram it all into a movie. It, it's a whole different kind of medium. So uh, for those who kind of pretend that this war between the book and the movie are going on, I think Lord of the Rings is a perfect example of being able to love the books 
I think that the books faithfully adapted are really the movies. I think the movies are just absolutely brilliant. The quintessential epic and such mm-hmm. a good example of good versus evil. And people need to stop the argument because it's so freaking awesome. <laughs> but I yeah, would, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I would say that Lord of the Rings is, is the best film that's ever been adapted from a book. Yeah. I mean, I actually think that's right. I, in terms of feel tone setting yeah. magnitude. Yeah. I think, I think you're completely right, dude. If you need to do some recreational reading, you could always try audio booking. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to see if Charles, uh, Charles Columbus, um, um, Star Spangled Crown. Emperor Charles. Um, oh, Blessed Charles of Austria. Blessed yeah. Charles. Charles yeah. Austria, Blessed yeah. Charles book is on yeah. there. Yeah. That's right. Because I'm interested in that. That seems interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. The life of, of somebody going through all that. So let's... where do you do you think here's a here's a hot question. Uh, do you think Texas will secede since we're talking about emperors and kings and stuff? It's too soon to tell. I think the seed is there, but um, I don't know. The, the The challenging thing that I would see about that is that um, what happens to the people in the cities? I mean, typically the cities are the most liberal areas. Mm-hmm. Will they go along with it? Will they abandon Texas? I don't know. Right. And 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 what does it look like? Well, if Texas goes, some other people will go too. So yeah. what will it look like, you know, getting getting imports or exports out and that sort of thing? Like, how would that look? I, I'm for it. Mm-hmm. I'm for it. I mean, I think it's just inevitable at this point. Do you think, you think we're in the end of the Republic? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Balkanization is inevitable. Mm. I, I don't know if it'll be like a peaceful thing. Right. But... Um, just, just the way that cities are the bastions of of liberal ideas, sure. And um, the coasts, you know, they're they're like the empires of of just bad, bad stuff. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind leaving here and going somewhere more idyllic. <laughs> I've I've always said it's ironic. So I, when it comes to our first civil war. Of course, for extremely selfish reasons, I'm a staunch unionist. <laughs> uh, but I will say this. Uh, I think it's funny that a country like ours forged in the blood of revolution then has the difficulty of becoming a more tyrannical government than what we even supposed the British Empire was in 1776. And plot twist, I don't think King George III was particularly tyrannical at all. How is it that we're friends with Napoleon, but we think that George III's tyrannical? I don't understand, but that's a whole different conversation. I've been reading Texas Texas website religiously, just kind of seeing if it's just <laughs> LARPing or if there's pragmatic. And there's a lot of there's a lot of of um, method behind the madness, shall we say? So I'm I'm all for it. Like I'm with you on balkanization. I don't I don't know. I don't know what America means necessarily because I found so many people who are so fundamentally anti it remotely. It's like the church, right? You find Catholics who hate the tradition of the church. They love the church insofar as they can change everything about the church. And 
I don't know how we reconcile that. I don't know, and I don't know if we should be honest with you. I don't think the virtue of staying together for patriotism makes any sense because I don't think patriotism's in the water certainly anymore. Um, yeah, you bring up a good point. Like, what is America anymore? Like, can can the question for any peoples is this? A, a peoples are their culture, right? So, what is American culture fundamentally? Can a socialist live next door to a capitalist? And them together create a system that's fair and equitable for both peoples? Can a Christian live next door to an atheist for a long amount of time and somehow create laws that are going to be fair for both worldviews? Can you know, I, I don't I don't think so. I used to think so, maybe. It worked it works for a time is what happens, and thank God our country has had less bloodshed than it really should have, honestly. But I keep thinking about, I'm like, can California really live next to Texas? And they're both valuable. Like California imports energy from Texas. Texas is an energy exporter. Okay. So in other words, there are some states in the union which need other states more than other states. And that's right. okay, right? Because we're supposed to have this great fabric of of camaraderie among citizenship. But I got to tell you, there are some ideas that I refuse. I'm just, I'm not. I refuse to tolerate. I refuse to listen to. I think they're bad ideas. Yeah. Um, what what California has done with the lockdown is an example of this. I would never recommend that for anybody, nor their children. I would never tell Florida that it must go by the dictates of California. Um, I've heard a theory which essentially is that the Constitution's been dead for a hot second. We just we just cadaver synod it, right? We and I think that's true in politics, <laughs> right? Like. They impeach Trump twice for trumped up charges. And then each and every time they sit, we all sit here and we we pretend, oh, we're such good Americans that we're trying to save the republic. Oh, for the sake of our democracy. And I'm like, you people don't care about democracy. And no. democracy is not all it's trumped up to be. Aristotle talks about there are the three good forms of government, right? There's monarchy, there's aristocracy, and there's polity, which would be essentially government by the affected might be the best example so america was set up originally as kind of a, those three working together right you had um we there was no direct election of senators the only ones who could vote were property owners obviously at the time it was it was racially divided but generally speaking property owners just like the athenians did and um the president's powers like the president had the same powers as the head of state that would usually be delegated between the king and the prime minister at another place that's both inside the executive and so the inverse of these three forms of government is monarchy, turn bad, gives way to tyranny, the worst form of government. Aristocracy gone bad turns to oligarchy and polity turns bad, turns to mob rule, mass democracy, essentially. And America, we're in a funny place because we've happened to get all three. Uh, I wish I was smart enough to say that this idea was purely mine, but I watched Charles Colum explain it the other day, of course. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that was his conclusion. And I was like, oh, that's that's completely apt that somehow we have somehow we have the tyranny of the executive. We think about that with so many orders. Doesn't matter what side of the aisle it's coming from. We have the tyranny of the oligarchy. I mean, oh, my gosh, the way that Congress acts immune from their own laws, rules and regulations. And then, of course, mass democracy, mob rule. The fact that two 18-year-old girls can vote you out of something just because they think it sounds cool. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, I was thinking maybe we could try and read some of these comments that we've gotten over the past couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, dude. That's a great idea. 
Matthew Reed says, Luminous ones are my favorite. This was on a video that I made on the Luminous Mysteries and whether or not we should pray them. Um, and he says, Luminous Mysteries are my favorite, shows three sacraments and how they were formed. Uh, yeah, that's that's a, a positive um, positive uh, takeaway from that, from the Luminous Mysteries, for sure. Radical troll. Is that, wait, is, I'm sorry, is that all you have to say? About... <laughs> really? About the Luminous Mysteries? Yeah. Oh, don't get me started on that. Okay, one. let me, okay, real quick. Can mind. I just... You shouldn't pray them. Just kidding. I know, right? Well, you know, the Fatima <laughs> Center, uh, Father Gruner was asked this, and he was like, look, we, we had this, and we had this back and forth too, remember, I think off the record, but... We were mm -hmm. like, all right, so the problem we have the Luminous Mysteries, problem is kind of a way too strong of a word. Yeah. There is the objective reason why the rosary is the 150 Psalms, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and all these other mm -hmm. sorts of things. Right? And it goes through her particular witnesses to things. That's all true. What, why would we change what, what the Virgin Mary herself has prescribed, right? And in fact, the reason I was wondering this, like, okay, well, we added the Fatima prayer because she asked us to add the Fatima prayer. Mm -hmm. So... I think that, so what Father Gruner said is this, the Luminous Mysteries are awesome. They're not something that ought to be in the cycle just because the cycle is so set apart. But yeah. in and of themselves, the idea that they're less meritorious or that they're bad is 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 not true either. I mean, and what's funny is we go through each of the mysteries, we're like, wow, these are all extraordinarily Catholic things. Like, it's nice to have mm -hmm. institution of the Eucharist and all these other sorts of things. So, um totally. Yeah, so in our regular rosary cycle, I don't really pray them. I don't have the kind of vendetta. I think we don't have the vendetta. I think the other tribes have. Your video is brilliant on this. I think it's just such a nice, good way of explaining without, you know, <laughs> being a jerk. Yeah. Uh, but but Matthew, yeah, dude, if look, if you love the luminous mysteries, I would say you could consider consider them as we do the chaplet of divine mercy. We pray the chaplet on rosary beads, you know. But we would never say that the chaplet's in our rosary regimentation. The Luminous Mysteries are wonderful things to meditate on. Just use them as you would just on, on the outside of, of what might be your quintessential traditional rosary. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. And John Paul II actually said that. I mean, he was very, very clear that, like, look, this isn't like, this is optional. This isn't like a requirement. So, yeah, it's a devotional. I mean, it's a devotional. It's yeah. This is very true. Like Do what you want. Cool. <laughs> uh, continue anyway. I just want I was just like, <laughs> I just I figured you had something. <laughs> <laughs> um radical troll actually to go back to that um this video was the one on the luminous mysteries was heavily based off of um this book by louis de montfort mm -hmm. uh, saint louis de montfort um called the secret of the rosary that's the other book i'm reading right now and i i really do recommend that book it's an amazing book really easy to read and it really breaks uh breaks through for people who haven't ever considered praying the rosary. It's just a lot of really good information on the history of it, uh, the meaning of the prayers, um, what they can be. Really awesome book. I, I suggest that one. Radical Troll here, he says um, on this restoring of an heirloom missile, um, he says, is this some Catholic ASMR? <laughs> it makes me relax. Thank you, Radical Troll. It, yeah, it is It is an ASMR video. <laughs> and uh, hope to make a, a couple more in the future. I want to, here is 
Oh, oh, this is gonna be a fun name. This is O L uh, Harold Harold Bach Apostle Harold's Bach Apostle. So I've butchered that. This is from uh, three weeks ago. This is on our video why young people are becoming traditional. This was our January seventh show with Catholic Drive Time. Uh, which is just such a great pleasure to have to be on their show. That was awesome. And he says, the nearest Latin mass church or traditional Latin mass church near me had to add another mass and one further away had to have a sign up to meet demand. Yet our Novus Ordo churches are half empty. Can the hierarchy finally get it? Well, <laughs> uh, the answer is uh, no, not yet, clearly, <laughs> depending on which hierarchy we're talking about. There is... Um, there are some who think that because Latin Mass is just a tiny little fragment, it doesn't matter. And uh, if you just look at data, this is going to be a whole different conversation in a decade. And so unfortunately, we're just going to play the waiting game. Um, but if you, Harold's uh, Black Apostle, I'm very happy that, uh, that to hear that how healthy your TLM is. And I'm sorry that it's so hard to get a seat in there. Um, but keep the faith. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a positive thing. If a parish ain't growing, it's certainly shrinking, right? Well, there's always a place for you to kneel. Yeah, that's right. Actually, that's true. You will. You just do. You know what's funny, Rudy? Um, pews. Pews are a Protestant invention. And if you look at the Orthodox churches, our old churches in Europe, of course, like you go to the Sistine Chapel or something, they don't have pews. And people be like, well, isn't this like a functioning church? And the answer is yes. But and the reason why they're a Protestant invention is this. So I was looking up their history. <laughs> if the central point of worship is actually the sermon, right? And the sermon goes on for an hour, two hours, three hours. Yeah, you gotta you're gonna down. wanna, right? So, <laughs> so meanwhile, if you're a Catholic, right? If the central part of worship is the Eucharist and we spend our life standing and kneeling and all the, you know, ping-ponging around, right? Then you don't necessarily need pews. You're always doing something. That's active participation for you. Yup. <laughs> RJC199 says on the futurist tradition which is a follow-up episode we did uh, three weeks ago they say look for the girl who is wearing one of those big medieval cone hats with a veil <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> jordan had mentioned um in that video that you should look out for a girl with a veil with a little veil is what you said and i said now you need the big veil yo i uh I, I gotta tell you, it, I feel sorry for for you know the pretty trad girl in mass because every guy is like trying to look at her. But I do think that God has been good in His judgment because veils have such tunnel vision that you can't tell. Not that yep. I've tried many veils on in my life, by the way. I uh, just want to put that out there. But yeah, you, <laughs> you you can you can only focus on God there, which is really really good. <laughs> uh, on the same video, I see a Ruben Martinez, who's actually been one of our longtime listeners and supporters. So thank you, Ruben. Always good to hear from you. Says, spot on, fellas. I've been in the traditional Latin Mass with my family for about two years now, and I can see the good fruits of it. God bless. That's very kind, Ruben. Thank you so much. That's about the same time uh, span that we've been in the TLM, too. So... You know, one thing that's funny is that we are we are all uh, we are all babies when it comes to this, but obviously we're we're all growing uh, all in the faith about it. So thank you so much. I see a lot of people uh, committing to praying for my dad. I appreciate that a lot. Appreciate that a lot. That's really mm -hmm. that's really awesome. Oh. Uh, let's see here. Do you see? There's an Ashley Carlos who said that we had a great show 
with Catholic Drive Time. Do you know anything about her? Yeah, who is that? <laughs> She's kind of cute. Oh, this is a, well, there's a Genevieve Montgomery. I'll take her if you take the other one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's see here. A lot of really awesome support. And yeah, we're just so thankful for you guys. Thank this you for engaging with us and while we kind of while we kind of wind down that's actually just a, such a good time to to really thank um man dude it seems like just the other day remember we were trying just to have 100 people listen to us <laughs> and so uh we're we are so grateful really to so many of you guys the fact that on youtube we're we're here at over 500 subscribers is crazy i don't think we could have really ever envisioned that and um you know, Rudy and I, we do this because we love Jesus, of course. And we also thought that there's there's a niche, as we've talked about before, in the market for positive trad content and just kind of refreshing things. You know, we're not we're not name calling. We're kind of we're we're, we're just two jabronis with a dream. <laughs> uh, but we but we wanted to talk about things that were relevant to us and also the fact that there's this budding traditional movement and you know, I think all of us together were changing the face of the stereotype of it, quite frankly. Um, you might have heard comments lately that there is this fiercely traditional Catholicism, American Catholicism that's self-devouring and all this other kind of stuff. And the reality is that this is an international thing, first off. Again, we, we pointed that out in the future as tradition and, and plenty of other places. But also, I've just been really kind of meditating on the fact that, you know, trads um catholics real catholics have been keeping the faith it's not it's not just purely just trads each and every time but obviously this is the easiest way to talk about it but man dude we've been kicked around for a hot second for the past 60 years and oh, yeah. there's it's so crazy that i have even some coworkers, uh one in particular who talks about having mass and he's only 10 years older than me he's 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 about he's just a little older than you rudy but he talks about yeah having the latin mass in hotels motels Right. Father Friar talks about the taking the train three hours to get the Latin mass in the barn. And this isn't old history. This isn't from a century or two centuries ago. This is, in some cases, a decade, 20 years ago. And so I think that for those who would criticize trads as being mean or fiercely traditional or self-devouring, which is something I'm still trying to figure out, by the way, uh, I'd like to remind you all something that Charles Clome really pressed upon us, which is that trad traditional catholics didn't start this war quote unquote and i don't i don't want to characterize it as a war because we're doing this out of the love of jesus but they weren't the ones that came and kicked in the doors and took everything that was near and dear to the catholic faith and so when you ask why some traditionalists and there i don't think our channel rudy is like this very much i don't think we're very circle the wagon kind of peoples but i'm not one and i know you're not one to criticize some channels and some of our fellow commentators who are a little bit more circle the wagons because the fact of the matter is that in some places in the church still we're getting kicked the you know we're getting we're the we're the dog that keeps getting kicked <laughs> oh yeah for sure i mean you have to keep that in mind um yeah you're absolutely right i mean some people have been doing this way longer than we have mm -hmm. you know they they had their share of of kicks to the kicks to the teeth so to say and you know, some people have chips on their shoulder, you know, I'm not going to criticize them. Yeah. You know, I don't think we should. Not necessarily. I mean, the idea is that, you know, we all have filler corrections that we need to do. We're glad trads. 
I would highly recommend that everybody in our channel join the Glad Trad Army. We we'll have to figure out a cool name for us, by the way. Something Glad Trad Army. We're gonna to have to get Father K to do the <laughs> do the voice intro still. <laughs> but no, I want you <laughs> for the Glad Trad Army, taking back Jerusalem one sub <laughs> at a time. Um, <laughs> but no, I just I just really want to impress upon people that you know the face of tradition now. It's it's younger. It's diverse. It's it's vocal it's fun you know it's kind of rambunctious it, it definitely is a meme it's a meme army but but there's there's it's not just a fad and i think that's something that a lot of the hierarchy and our fellows and peers and fellow catholics are going to start taking note of the more that we kind of get entrenched here in colorado this is something really cool rudy um because i know that this is what the, the fraternity is gunning for out in saint vitus and so i know i can see the strategy um next year not this year unfortunately but next year the fraternity out here at Our Lady Mount Carmel are going to start a school. And they've been talking to the diocese about this for a long time. Well, the diocese, by their own volition, essentially gave them what they wanted to. They were like, how about you guys have a school and how about it's independent? Like it's not a diocesan school. So they could kind of wash their hands and let the let the traditional Catholics do what traditional Catholics do best. And our priests here were like, yeah, can we can we get that in writing, please? Let's, let's go. Let's run. <laughs> <laughs> so... There is this, you know, I talk a lot about, uh, Rudy, have you ever read the Benedict option? Uh, no, I've heard of it, but I've never read it. Okay. Do you know the premise at least? Yeah. Yeah. So for, for any of our viewers who don't know, of course, the Benedict option is about how to be Christian in a post-Christian era, particularly in this country. It's written by uh, a man, I think he's Orthodox, but he talks a lot about how traditional Christianity, really he lumps in Orthodox Catholicism and some like conservative mainland Protestantism into this branch, evangelical Protestantism, some of it. Uh, but he talks about how essentially rather than this offensive push all the time that we need to make like the Benedictines did in the monastic systems and be these hot pocket bastions of civilization that we maybe need to take a step back and focus on the fundamentals of the faith. And I think that there's time for laughter, Rudy, you know, and a time for war. And so I do think that the church, yeah, needs to sit back and do a real serious retrospective. I think that trads, we are doing very good things by insulating ourselves, quote unquote, a little bit around our communities, around our parishes, and just kind of planting our flags, the little Catholic flags all over. And it's from these sort of pockets, these sort of Benedict options that hopefully we can go and re-evangelize the rest of the culture. We're already seeing great fruits of it. There are plenty of la uh, relapsed Catholics, uh, or reverts, I should say. There are plenty of people who are atheists from other religions who are in the Latin mass, and uh, and they're not leaving. They've they found faith in Christ, and they, they would not go anywhere else. They're home. Ah, they're home. <laughs> So thank you all so much for uh, watching. If you liked what we had to say, if you want to share it, please, the most important thing you guys can do is continue to keep us in your prayers as we pray for you. The second most important thing you can do is please subscribe and hit the notification bell. It really helps us get our message out. Share this to all the far corners of the earth as you can. After all, isn't it in the scripture, Rudy, that Christ says, go out to all the nations and give them the Glad Trad podcast? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I read that. Pretty sure I read that, you know. So. <laughs> oh. All right. Guys, from all of us, both Rudy and I here at the Glad Chat Podcast, God bless you and Mary keep you. We'll see you on the next one. Adios. See ya. Oh.